welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. 1962, Chevrolet released a brand new car called the Chevy Nova. How many of you remember the Nova? All right, Chevy Nova. Now, while sales were rather strong in the United States of America, they noticed an interesting phenomenon happening with the Nova. It wasn't really selling in Mexico or any of the Latin American countries. And what they did is a little more research and found out that the word Nova in Spanish is very similar to the phrase, no-go, which is not exactly the best name for a car if you think about the marketing department, right? Probably should have thought through that, but Chevy's not alone in doing that. There's some other places. As many of you know, companies today, they want to be online. They want to have a a domain name, a website. That's their address where you can find them. So companies will say, okay, we want to create this name for ourselves online. Let's create a domain name. But I'm just going to say, I think sometimes they don't think through it before they do this. Let me give you an example. There's a group called Expert Exchange. Okay? They decided to do a website. They put it up, expertsexchange.com. Okay? <laughs> if you Google it, you probably won't get the same results you're hoping for. Okay? Right? Here's another one. Speed of Art. This is what their website is. Okay? <laughs> I don't know what a speedo fart looks like, but I don't want to find out. Okay? you got to think through this more. Here's another one. IP Computer Software. Okay, <laughs> all the middle school boys love that one, right? I can, you can tell my maturity level. My last one is my favorite one, though. American scrap metal, okay? If you don't pick it up, if you put that S on a different side, it's American scrap metal. <laughs> now, why am I telling you all that? Why do we see that? See, sometimes we need to ask questions. Sometimes we need to do some research. Sometimes we need to stop. And we need to think before we move forward, which is exactly what we're going to be doing this summer here at Celebrate Church. Again, if you're a guest, you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here for week one of our series, Rethink. I would agree, and and most of you in the room would agree, we want to see God move in a mighty way. And if we're not seeing that in our lives, it's because we need to stop and we need to think, what do we need to do to be in a position where God can move mightily in our life? And if you've been part of Celebrate, you've heard me say this before, but I want to reinforce this. This series is so much more than a series. This is our summer campaign. And we are very intentional with this because we believe that God wants to do great things. So we hope that you're here through that. But there's three parts of this, and each one is so vitally important. The first one is what you're doing right now. Every single Sunday, we're going to ask for the next eight weeks that you would commit to being here and worshiping with us. Now, I understand it's summer. I understand you're going to be gone and there are vacations. Elaine and I are going to be gone a couple Sundays during this series ourselves. But make it a point to get online and watch it and see that series. If you can be here in person, do it. But definitely try to make a point to watching it if you can't be here. Um, Each week, we're going to pick a different topic and we're going to kind of unpack it together. So it's going to be important that you stay on top of it. But the second thing is just as important as our Sunday mornings. What is it, church? It's our life groups. Life groups are such a key part of what we do. We come here on Sunday, we hear from God's word, but being connected with relationships with other people and walking through that as well. 
for the next eight weeks, what I'm asking is, would every person in our church commit to being part of a life group? Now, I know there was some confusion on days and times and locations. That's my fault. I apologize. From now on, if you want to know days and times and locations of our life groups, go to our website, yankton.church. We have them all listed there. It's updated so you can see and know where that's at. We do have a Wednesday group. Not started yet. It won't be starting this week. But if you're interested, if you say, hey, Wednesdays are something that I want to be a part of, Wednesdays work for me, let me know. Uh, text us, email us, because we to have that. So we have our Sunday, we have our life group, but the third part of it is the one we added um, the last time we did a campaign is our Connected Celebrate. So if you have not yet signed up for that, go ahead and take out your phones right now, <laughs> and you can go to that number, Connected Celebrate, if you have it saved, and text the word RETHINK. And we already, we haven't even started this series yet. We already have 14 people that have subscribed to that series. So thank you for those of you who've done that. If you haven't done that yet, you have questions, find somebody with an orange name tag. Because throughout this series, you're going to get updates. You're going to get devotionals, um, encouragements throughout the week. So make sure you go ahead and do that. Subscribe to that. Sunday, our life groups and our re, uh, connect and celebrate that text that word rethink. So today, by way of introduction, um, we're going to start this off and kind of build the foundation for our series. And I've got a question that kind of like an informal survey that we're going to do. How do you wake up? So uh, how do you wake up in the morning? And it's kind of a show of hands. How many of you just wake up naturally? Like the morning, you're just awake, you're ready to go, you don't need any assistance. Okay, uh, that's pretty rare, but, but good job. Yeah, okay. All right, how many of you need an alarm clock to wake you up in the morning? Okay, that'd be me, all right? I need to have something, some loud, obnoxious noise to get me out of bed and doing it. Okay, and, and be honest, right? We're all friends here. There's no judgments here. How many of you are the snooze king or snooze queen? Okay, like they hit that snooze button. Okay, a few of those, right? I'm gonna keep hitting it over and over again until until I can get up. I know some people will like say like, okay, I've got to be up by eight o'clock. So I'm going to set my alarm for 715. I'm going to hit snooze two times. Then that gives me 50. Like I can't do that kind of mental math in the morning. All right. If you could do that, great. But that's me. How many of you, and again, be honest, no judgment here. How many of you would say, I don't get out of bed unless I absolutely have to? Anybody in the room? Okay. <laughs> that's all right. There's a few of us. Now, why do we say that? Because here's the thing. Sleep is an important part of our lives. It's a natural fact. It's something that we all need to survive. But the problem with sleep is when we don't wake up. Sometimes we don't wake up on time and we're late for things. That's not a good feeling, is it? We've all been there before. Sometimes we're not waking up while we're driving a car. That's also a problem, okay? You need to pull over and get some sleep. Or sometimes we don't wake up at all. And that's really the big problem, isn't it? So where are we going with this? See, here's what I'm going to say. If you keep doing what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got. I'm going to say that again. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. Part of rethinking is saying we need to rethink what we're doing to get different results. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it, church. I think in the United States of America, the church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up. And let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Barna Research in 2021 did a survey, and these numbers um, should shock you, and they should also break your heart. It was discovered that 38% of pastors have seriously considered quitting the ministry in this past year. I'm not talking like trying to different church or go to a different place. I'm saying 38%, almost one out of three, over one out of three pastors in America over the last year thought, I'm going to walk away from my calling. I'd rather go work at McDonald's. Church, I think we need to wake up, don't we? There's something to that. 37% of people in the United States of America who claim to follow Jesus Christ don't feel equipped to make other disciples. Now, I find this interesting. The next one, only 11% 
report reading their Bible every day. One out of ten people in this country who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ read their Bible every day. You think that might be part of a problem? Here's the next one. 29%, 29%, almost one out of every three people, would say, I have not even read my Bible even one time this past week. Now go back to that number. 37% don't feel equipped. 29% haven't read their Bible this week. Think that might be related? <laughs> Maybe if we read God's Word, we'd feel equipped. How about this one? 56%. 56% of Christians feel that their spiritual life is entirely private. Over half the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ in the United States of America say that my spiritual walk is private. This is Jesus, who his final command was to go and make disciples and tell the whole world about me. Half of his followers say, nah, I'd rather just keep it to myself. Think that's a problem? How about this one? This is the one I love. 43% of all Christians, all Jesus followers in the United States, 43% cannot explain what the Bible calls a tithe. Forget even doing it. Forget even understanding it. Like, they don't even have a clue what that word actually means. And I would contend the rest of the do like to argue with that, right? Because we want to keep our money all to ourselves because it's all about us. Church, it's time we wake up. God is calling us to wake up. We want to see God move in a mighty way in our culture, but what we're doing isn't getting us what we need to get there. And again, I'm going to say it again. If what you keep doing is what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. So it's time for us to rethink. So in your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Um, and while you're going there, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Um, there's also Version. It's a free app on any smartphone or device. You can download it right now. You can just type in Matthew 26 and it'll go right there. But while you're going to Matthew 26, I'm going to give you the context of what we're talking about. Matthew 26 tells of the time, the night when Jesus was betrayed. And this moment we're going to talk about is a few moments right before that. See, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples, Judas, was going to betray him to the hands of the, the religious leaders. Jesus would be arrested and charged even though he did nothing wrong. He would be mocked. He would be beaten. He would be rejected. He would be tortured. And eventually, he would lose his life. This is what he was facing. And I would contend this is the most significant moment in human history. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would like to be there for that moment? How many of you would like to think, man, I'd like to see that? So Matthew paints a picture of what that moment was like. And I'm going to say, even though we say we might want to be there, I don't know if we do. Matthew 26, I'm going to start in the 36th verse. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, an interesting fact that Jesus just gave us right here. The first thing Jesus turned to was prayer. With everything Jesus was facing, and he knew everything that was going to be facing in the next few hours, the first thing Jesus did was turn to prayer. So I want to ask a question. Is prayer our last resort or is our first response? Because for Jesus, if Jesus' prayer was his first response, how much more should prayer be our first response over and over again? That wasn't even the meat. That was just an appetizer. We're going to keep going. Matthew 26, 37. Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Church, have you ever been in a situation where you felt completely overwhelmed? Where your soul was just wringing in sorrow? 
the gravity of the situation that you are facing. Jesus felt that way too. And in this moment, he was so overwhelmed, he went to his father. But I don't want you to miss the other thing that he did. He took three of his followers, Peter, James, and John. He pulled them in close. He says, guys, I really need you right now. Can you imagine the God of the universe, the creator of all things, you get to worship with him and fellowship with him for three years, see him do amazing things. He gets to this point, you can see it on his face that he is so distressed and so distraught. It was so impactful. And Jesus said, listen, guys, I really need you right now. To which I would say this, when you feel sorrow and overwhelmed, who are the people you pull close to you? Or would you rather isolate and push people away? You know what I see more often than not? I see more often than not we push people away and we isolate. To which I would say, do you think you're better than Jesus? <laughs> Because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus at his most desperate hour said, I need the Father, I need to be in prayer, and I need my three guys with me to be with me and comfort me and protect me. How much more do we need each other? This is why I keep saying life groups, right? You need to have people around you. Now that was just the salad. We've had the appetizers of the salad. Now we're getting to the main course. You ready, church? You excited to learn God's word today? Amen? All right, here we go. Matthew 29, 39. Going a little farther. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus said the phrase that you hear me say all the time, church. It's either thy will be done or my will be done. We can't have it both ways. Jesus knew everything that he was going to be facing, and he knew that it was going to hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was going to bear the weight of all the sin of humanity on him, and he prayed to his Father, God, if there is any other way, let it happen. But at the end of the day, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I don't know what you're facing in your weak church, but I guarantee it's not even close to what Jesus has faced. And yet he in that moment said, God, I'm willing to trust you. I'm going to surrender to you. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But not my will be done, but thy will be done. And then Jesus did something very interesting. He turned back to his disciples, you know, his three boys, you know, Peter, James, and John, his trusted followers, the one he was counting on, the ones he just said, this is my most desperate hour. I need you guys. Jesus turned back to those three, and what did he say? Verse 40. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Are you kidding me? In my most desperate hour, you're going to sleep? This is what Jesus said. And, and I, don't think he, I don't think he was just, I don't think he was like, hey, guys, I need you to wake up. I think Jesus was a little ticked off at this point, okay? Jesus said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. You might say, why would he singling out Peter there? What's the deal with Peter? Because a few verses before, Peter said, Jesus, I will do anything for you. I will go to death for you. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? By the time the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you owe me three times. I think that was a little preview to Peter. Okay, Peter, you couldn't even stay awake with me in my most desperate hour. Are you kidding me? Then Jesus warns them. He told them the first time. He warns them a second time. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then Jesus went back a second time, and he prayed again the same prayer. Not, thy will, not my will be done, but thy will be done. 
And then he turned back to his disciples. You know the guys he was counting on? The guys he told? The guys he came back and woke up and he just warned? He turned back around and they were sleeping again. Are you kidding me? And then one of the saddest verses in all scripture, Matthew 26, 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Church, I'm going to tell you something that might hurt a little bit, and I love you, but it might hurt. Sometimes Jesus will let you sleep. He told them the first time. He warned them a second time. But the third time, he just left them and let them sleep. He just let them keep on sleeping. And then he came back in verse 45 after praying the third time. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And at that point, it was too late. And the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all tell us that that moment stayed with those disciples for the rest of their lives, where they let Jesus down at his most desperate hour, when he came to them and told them, listen, I need you guys to stay awake. I need you to be here. He came back a second time and he warned them, guys, I need you to stay awake. And the third time, he just let them keep on sleeping. So church, let me ask you two one more time. How do you wake up? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about how your alarm clock wakes you up in the morning. I'm asking you spiritually. How do you wake up spiritually? And again, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I wonder how many times God has come to us and told us some things. I wonder how many times God has come back and warned us and say, listen, you need to stop. You need to take this seriously. You need to understand. And my fear is that if we tune that out too long, I think sometimes we can just stay asleep. And I think Jesus might say, you know what? I'm just going to let you stay asleep. I don't want to be in that camp. I want to be able to be awake and see what's happening. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 13. Verse 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Church, time is running out. I don't know how much longer I have on planet Earth and neither do you. We don't know. Jesus will one day return. One of two things is going to happen. We're either going to go and we're going to be with Jesus, or Jesus is going to come back. My fear is, one that happens, which either way that happens, is Jesus going to find us awake, or is he going to find us asleep? I know where I want to be. I want to be awake. I want to be the ones keeping watch. I want to stay with Jesus in his most desperate hour. Because Jesus understood that he was about to take all of humanity, the sin and the shame, and bear that on himself so that we might have freedom in salvation and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ Church. It's time for us to wake up and to recognize that and to see that. And I don't see that in our country. So what do we do with that, Pastor? How can we go with that? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to give us three areas where we can wake up. If you got your note sheets, you want to take this out. I'm going to give you these so you can write them down. Here's the first one. We need to wake up our identity. We need to wake up our identity. And you might want to write behind that personal. 
I heard a story about Albert Einstein, um, the famous scientist, of course. He was taking a train to his speaking engagement. He sat in his seat engrossed in his work. When the conductor came by to punch his ticket, looking up in shock, Einstein realized that he had no idea what he had done with his ticket. So frantically, he began searching his coat pockets and then his briefcase. But the conductor calmly said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry yourself about it. But Einstein continued frantically looking for his ticket, and on his hands and knees even. The conductor reassured him, please, sir, don't worry yourself. I know who you are. Exasperated, Einstein looked up and said, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> you know what I contend? I think sometimes we don't know where we're going because we don't know who we are. If you want to know where you're going, you got to know who you are. And church, can I just say it again? As followers of Jesus Christ, my identity is in Jesus Christ. We surrender to God. We say, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And when you know who you are, you will know where you are going. And that's the problem, I think. We think Christianity, we think following Jesus is all about us. I hate to break the news to you. It's not. It's about becoming like Christ. Ian Thomas wrote a book called The Mystery of Godlessness. Godless, godliness, sorry. He writes this. The Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. Thus, if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, your anything. Although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. Church, our identity is in Jesus Christ. When we choose to follow him, it's no longer about me. It is our identity is in Christ. You know, there's a lot of conversation in our culture about identity and how we choose to identify ourselves. And I know that there's a lot of controversy about this. And, and you know, people say, oh, I, I feel like I'm this and I want to identify as that. And, and I, I just want to say, as the church, church, I think we get distracted by that. I think we're fighting the wrong battle. See, let me help you with where I'm going with that. Do you guys remember when you were a kid and you would pretend like, oh, I'm a police officer, I'm a fireman, right? You guys remember doing that, right? It's, it's, it's made up. It's pretend, okay? When somebody says, I identify as a pumpkin, and they think that they're a pumpkin, okay, we all know they're not a pumpkin, okay? We're, we're not going to fight that battle. And, and I'm, I'm tired of the church standing up and saying, oh, we're against this, we're against this. We're against this. Listen to this, church. It's very simple. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your identity is Jesus Christ. You know the part that says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You remember that part? That's who we are. We are to identify as Christ. We are fighting the wrong battle. When we hear people say things like that, we just know they just don't get it yet. <laughs> Why are we arguing with that? How about we live like Christ and identify as Christ. We are a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take it a step further. I don't identify as a white heterosexual male. Okay? I don't. That's not how I identify myself. You know how I identify myself? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's who I identify as. And once I understand that and I start living that way as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's amazing how the rest of that stuff takes care of itself. You with me, church? 
I don't know why we're fighting the identity battle because, again, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, that's who we are. Here's the second area we need to wake up. First one is our identity. Here's number two, unity. Unity. And you might want to write behind that relational. So our identity is personal and our unity is relational. You know, I read a story about a father who heard a bunch of commotion in his backyard. He looked outside and he saw his daughter and several of their neighbor friends in a heated quarrel. The father went up and asked, sweetheart, what are you guys doing? She goes, oh, daddy, we're just playing church. And now we laugh about that, but, but I tell you what, can I tell you something? Do we fight for the church or do we fight with churches? You know that this is a hot-button topic for me, especially in our community. Again, I can't control others and what they say or do, but I'm just telling you, man, I believe that we've been wasting too much time fighting with church instead of for church. And we need to change that. We need to understand that unity is so important. Our relationships are so important with other followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying we all need to look the same, talk the same, sound the same, dress the same, okay? That's not a church, that's a cult, okay? We're not supposed to do that. See, the point of Jesus is we're different. We have different ethnicities, different social, political, even different genders. It's about unity, not uniformity. I'm going to say that again. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's about unity, not uniformity. You know, one of the things that I'm very proud of our church is the fact that we have a lot of diversity in our church. Even though numerically we're small, we have a lot of different diversity in our church. And I love that because I think that's a picture of heaven. And, and you guys have heard me say this before. It's okay to disagree. I think one of the healthiest things we do as a church, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm seeing it more and more. I'm seeing more and more disagreements in our church. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Let me help you unpack that. Because at the end of the day, we're not seeing things eye to eye, but we want to walk hand in hand. It's not about that. We say that every time at our life groups, right? That's one of our key principles. We don't need to see eye to eye, but we do need to walk hand in hand. Even though we disagree on things, how can we still have that unity? And when we have a difference, Jesus is our guide. It's not my opinion or your thought or your upbringing. What does God's word actually say? And that's the unity that we can have when it comes to following Jesus Christ, is the unity in our relationships. So we have our identity. We have our unity. Here's the third one. It's our focus. And behind that, you can write the word spiritual. So we have our identity, our unity, and our focus. See, there's a tremendous difference when it comes between a cruise ship and a battleship. I don't know if you guys have ever been on the ocean before and seen these big ocean liners, but if you see a cruise ship and a battleship, they're very two different purposes. Let me help you where I'm going with this. See, a battleship has a particular purpose and mission. A cruise ship has lots of purposes and no mission. Battleships are equipped for battle. Cruise ships are equipped for entertainment. Battleships are prepared for crisis, and they expect it when it happens. Cruise ship passengers are all about themselves. On a battleship, everyone has a role and a responsibility. On a cruise ship, they hire other people to do the work for them. Battleships are fully funded for its mission before it even leaves the harbor. Cruise ships, well, they, passengers spend money on whatever they desire for themselves. On a battleship, everyone is prepared to die for the mission. On a cruise ship, they just want to play it safe 
and make sure they go home. So church, let me ask you, which one are we? <laughs> are we a battleship? Are we a cruise ship? We got to pick one. See, and, and my, my concern is the fact that sometimes we get distracted by that and we see more, it's more about me and my comfort and my pleasure. And, and I just want to tell you, church, as your pastor, I'm pastoring a battleship here. I, I need you. We've talked about this in last series. I need you. I need us to be shipmates to, in it together, prepared for crisis. We know we're going to face crisis. We need to expect it and we need to a, be able to handle it. We need to have our roles and responsibilities on how we are to fight the battle. There's a lot of battles in our community that we need to fight, church. I mentioned this before. There are people that are battling addiction in our community. We need to come alongside them and fight for them. There are people that are battling mental illness in our community. We need to be prepared to fight the battles with them. We need to be prepared to fight the battles that come across when abuse and neglect happens. These are things that are happening in our community, and we need to be able to fight for that. And I wonder how often, instead of fighting and being part of the battle, instead we just look on the sidelines and observe from our, from our deck and, and, and go back to playing shuffleboard. I don't want to be a cruise ship, church. I want to be a battleship. See, here's the thing. We are in a battle, and we're fighting for Jesus and for his kingdom. And I want to fight so hard that when I die, Satan goes, Man, I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad he's out of the game, right? I want to continue to fight for that church. So, so let me ask you one more time. How do you wake up? Not just in your morning, but how do you wake up spiritually? And again, I want to read to you the words of Jesus, Matthew 24, 26, 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Jesus told his disciples, I need you guys right now. I need you to be focused and be prepared. They couldn't handle it. They fell asleep. He came back and he warned them and he said, he reminded them, listen guys, this is so important. I need you to understand this. But when he came back a third time and they were sleeping again, he just let them sleep. I don't want Jesus to find me asleep, church. Can I help you with that? I believe that. And again, it comes down to our identity, who we are. We are a child of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be distracted with the world's battles. That's their fight. I know who I am in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Amen, church? That's who I am. That's where it starts. When you know who you are, you know where you're going. And it talks about unity, not uniformity. I love the fact, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, when he assembled his team of 12 disciples, one of those guys with Matthew, who was a tax collector, there's another guy we don't hear about very often who is named Simon the Zealot. If you don't know about the Zealots, they were a group of Jewish people who hated the Romans. They took sword oaths to kill Romans and destroy Rome and overthrow Rome. That's a guy that Jesus picked on his team. And he also picked Matthew the tax collector. You know, the Jewish traitor who worked for Rome and he would do these hard things against Rome. Basically, the bitter enemy of Simon the Zealot. You with me on this, church? And Jesus picked them both to be on his team. And I don't know, this isn't in scripture, this is me. I think Jesus made them be roommates. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but I think it would, right? Because again, unity is not about uniformity. It's about unity. I, I want a church that has a bunch of Democrats in it. And I want a church that has a bunch of Republicans in it. I want a church that are all vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. I want all that. You know why? Because at the end of the day, we're going to walk in the step with Jesus Christ. We're not always going to see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, we're going to walk hand in hand. 
And that's going to change our world, church, more than anything. We need to have our identity in Christ. We need to have unity. But we need to have our focus. And I love you with all my heart. We are a battleship church. We are going to fight. If you're looking for your comfort and your pleasure, this might not be the church for you. And I love you with all my heart. But I mean it. We are going after people. Because it matters. Our time here on earth is so short. Not one person in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. And if this was your day to stand before Jesus, would you be okay with the work that you've done? And if the answer is no, I'm not sure, then let's get busy now. Because I'm going to say the words of the Apostle Paul again, the hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And every day we get one day closer to either the end of our life or Jesus' return in church. Let's stay awake. Let's pray. Jesus, I can't imagine what it was like for you that night. You had served so faithfully. You had touched so many people. You had healed the sick. You raised the dead. You set the demons for freedom from the demonic forces, God. All of, Jesus, all those things you've done. You walked with these 12 guys. And you knew that one of them, one of your closest friends, was about to betray you. You knew that all of them were going to scatter like sheep. And you would be left to face a horrible, awful death. And you did all of that for me. And for every man, woman, and child in this room, watching online, and throughout human history. You did it with love in your heart for us. So that we might know you and not have to face the consequence of our sin. Jesus, we're so grateful for that. We're so thankful for that. God, forgive us when we forget who we are, when we try to be something we're not. When we live in a culture that tries to tell us that identity is fluid and can be whatever it wants, Jesus, help us to stand on the rock that we are first and only followers of you. And God, forgive us when we fight and argue and divide more than we unite. Jesus, if you could pick a tax collector and a zealot to be on your team, boy, how much more should we model that in our churches? And again, it's not about me. How can we, God, fight those battles in, in a positive way so we can stay hand in hand even when we don't see eye to eye on certain things? And God, I pray, especially for our church, God, that we would have a crystal clear focus. We are not here to be a cruise ship. We are here to be a battleship. And that all of us would man our stations and know when we come in that door on Sunday, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to serve so that we can reach as many for the gospel of Jesus Christ as we possibly can. God, help us to keep that focus and that mission and that purpose as it's not about us. It's about you. And God, I'm thankful for this series, how we're going to be walking through this together for the next eight weeks, what it means to really pause and think who we are and what it means to be followers of you. So God, we thank you for this. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless. Thank you.